Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stenko is out West, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life as we do every Tuesday. Coming up on Thursday, we'll go ISO with former NBA All-Star and a guy who played forever in the NBA, the prototypical power forward of the 90s. That's Kevin Willis. Also an open gym. What if announcers went after media critics, Adam, the same way that players attack analysts and writers who never played their sport? I can't wait to get into this. You know it, Noah. You know the claws are going to be out for this discussion. (laughs) All right, Adam, but first let's start with the passing of David Stern. I was an NBA intern the summer of 2003. I guess it was just a few days into the internship. It was June 26, 2003 was the intern breakfast. Now, there are two sets of interns, one at NBA Entertainment in New Jersey, in Secaucus, and the old 450 Harmon Meadow Boulevard building, which now everybody is in one building, that building where they used to hold the lottery that you'd see on TV. Right, that's right. no longer there, and that's where the old NBA TV studios were also. And then there was another set of interns in Olympic Tower on Fifth Avenue in New York City. So everybody got together. And I was an intern at NBA Entertainment in New, in New Jersey. Everyone got together for the intern breakfast the morning of the NBA draft. And that breakfast is with David Stern. And he came in and you can feel his presence. I think every intern was taller than David, but of course he's the largest figure in the room. And he came in and his first question to all of us, aside after walking around and shaking everybody's hand was, what does the NBA sell? I don't remember what my answer was, but it was not the correct answer. Nobody gave the the answer that he would deem correct. And he said, the NBA sells entertainment. So always think about that. The NBA is always selling entertainment. You know, what makes that story really interesting is that I have a buddy in in San Francisco who met Stern, I think had lunch with him somehow. They, They crossed paths. Maybe they didn't have lunch, but they ran into each other somewhere. And, uh, my buddy's a, a big, businessman, you know, private equity guy starts talking to Stern and Stern brought that same thing up. My buddy still tells that story, that same thing. He said, you know what we sell at the NBA? And he's, you know, trying to think of an answer and stuff. And then boom, turns around entertainment. And Mm -hmm. uh, he said it actually changed how he sort of viewed some of his deals that he, that he puts down. So interesting in that regard around, I'm always curious, Noah, around the offices working for the NBA, because I've talked to people who have worked there. I never had the chance to. Um, what was the fear factor like around David Stern and what he would want to lay down in terms of their specific way of doing things? So here's the thing. I do think there was a portion of the population who worked at the NBA that was constantly walking on eggshells and afraid of David Stern. But I think those people were the ones that were underprepared. I think Mm. the people who were prepared to work with him, not just for him, but with him, were the ones who understood what he wanted out of every conversation. And the bosses that I worked with had were flying on planes with him, going to playoff games. And and for And for those interactions, when you knew that you were going to be in close quarters with the commissioner, you knew that you always had to be up on everything, not just 
the playoff series that you were going to watch, not just X's and O's, but the business side of both organizations. But also when you're flying during the playoffs, it's getting ready for a WNBA season. So you've got to know what's going on WNBA wise on and off the court. The people that succeeded there were the people that were always prepared. Even if you were going to be taking a two minute walk or there was an opportunity that, that, where there was a chance that you might be running into David in the hallway, he might just throw some question at you. You always had to be prepared. You always had to read. I don't know if it, I'm sure it actually, I'm sure it still comes out at the NBA. Every morning you'd get the NBA daily and in your email. And that was just a whole host of stories that mm-hmm. you should, it'd be impossible to read before the start of your day. But before the start of your day, you better be familiar with something in every one of those stories. And, right. th- and those are the people that those are the people that really succeeded. And I think you can pass on the lessons that that David Stern taught you as an executive. You could pass those on to other people who didn't have constant communication with him. From a business standpoint, it's interesting. I'll tell you about someone who who shocked me with what they said. But from a business standpoint, 1982, 16 of the 23 NBA teams lose money. 84, Stern takes over as NBA commissioner. And 2017, Leslie Alexander sells the Rockets for $2.2 billion, billion after buying them for $85 million in 93. So in 24 years, they go from $85 million to $2.2 billion, And that is indicative of the, the rest of the league, I, I think. So many teams are valued now in the billions. I think just about every NBA team is valued in the billions. So what he did from a business standpoint is just remarkable. But what's what's interesting is, you know, you you hear the two sides of things. And I'll just leave it at this for my part. There's two sides. One from people, David Stern built everything and, you know, was reckless and not reckless, but um was just a powerful brute force in doing so. And then the other, I heard someone say to me the other day, oh, Michael Jordan's the reason the league became big time. Bird and Magic are the reason the league became big time. It wasn't David Stern. So in in a sentence or two, Noah, how do you rebut the item that doesn't even need to be rebutted? Well, I think what made him stand out at that time, Adam, was you had a product that was driven by African-Americans. And at that time, there weren't heads of companies willing to stake their company, their business, their future, their reputations on the backs of African-Americans. But David Stern did that. And you better believe that Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, they understand that now and they appreciate it. Yeah, and from a social justice standpoint, he did a lot more than anything the NBA accomplished, just culturally, how this country, I think, has changed in terms of its view of, of race relations and, and, and items of that sort. We talk about physical fitness a lot, something David Stern did as well. There's another side to the game that's just as important, and we're talking about mental fitness. Calm, Adam, is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and they've teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. I guess LeBron can remain calm this week. They've got the Knicks on Tuesday night. Then they're off until Friday at Dallas at OKC on Saturday. LeBron and calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body. And calm can help you train your brain so that you sleep better 
have less stress, and perform at your best. My daughter is actually using the Calm app, Noah. Oh. Using the Calm app to go to sleep. She was having a tough time for a, a span of a couple of weeks. She's like, I just can't get settled at night. I can't fall asleep. I said, download the Calm app. It's going to work. And it has. She's sleeping great. In fact, she's had some of the best night's sleep I think she's ever had. So it's it's proven to work. My 13-year-old my daughter has been using the Calm app and, and successfully so. You got to find out what scenes she likes because LeBron likes the nature scenes. I want to know what your daughter likes. And for a limited time, and I'm sure that she's already done this, you can join LeBron Usecom with that 40% discount, which is also music to a parent's ears. <laughs> Annual membership, com.com slash locked on NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. So get started at com.com slash locked on NBA. That's com.com slash locked on nba coming up next we'll reject the screen with kevin love's position in cleveland yes the program's called rejecting the screen but the second segment also rejecting the screen where we go against what is commonly thrown around as acceptable And we'll do that with Kevin Love's situation in Cleveland, where he's clearly not happy. Got $90 million left on a contract. And he wants out of Cleveland. Now it's just a matter of how he's going to go about it. And in terms of PR, Adam, what's interesting is that the good PR and the goodwill around the league that Kevin Love built up by coming forward Coming the face of mental health issues in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Now, on the court, freaking out the other night, and whether freaking out is the wrong phrase to use or not, Kevin Love has not gone about this in the acceptable PR way. And the value now, and something I'll never understand why players don't get it, when you act this way, the value goes down right. for your services, making it harder for your team to deal you, or it you can still be dealt, but then the fan base from where you're being dealt from, well, forget it. Yeah, and we all understand. This is the, the idea that you go from a championship-level franchise having the face of the NBA for this generation, LeBron James, and now LeBron no longer there, and then no longer is David Griffin there, your trusty, reliable general manager who, as good a GM, I think, as as there really is in the NBA, he's not there. You've got a younger guy in Kobe Altman. We've talked about the issues with this young backcourt that they have that doesn't defend anyone, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Yet the front court is made up of these old guard guys, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, and you throw in the mix John Beeline, who's an older head coach but has never coached in the NBA before, uh, one of the best X's and O's guys in all of coaching, and yet he was a college coach, and there's some growing pains there. We understand the reason for the frustrations, but as you point out, he agreed to this extension. He could have controlled his own destiny in in some different ways. And he agreed to the extension and decided he wanted to to go for the safe bet. 
and put you know his money where his mouth is, if you will. And so you're looking at a $31 million uh, salary this year, 31 million in 21. And in 22, you know, 29 million that he'll be due to make. So Kevin Love ensured that he'd be good for the future. And now he's frustrated about the product on the court and what's happening with the team. And in my eyes, unless you are the best player on your team and on most of the teams in the NBA, I I can't think of a team that I think Kevin Love would be the best player on his team, unless you're that guy. And certainly on a contender, he's not any better than maybe the fourth best player on a team. If you, unless you're that guy, you don't have that say. You can't get both the money and then determine the direction the franchise is going. If Kevin Love is getting approximately $30 million a year, he's got to be happy with that. If he wants to be in a situation where he can control what the franchise looks like, guess what, Kevin Love? Go somewhere and take less money. And of course, he's not going to do that. Well, and that's what he said. He had done that with Jason Lloyd. He did a QA with Jason Lloyd at The Athletic a little bit ago. And he said that, you know, when I saw that money, I can't. I couldn't turn that down. All right, well, now you've got to accept the position that you're in. And whether or not you were told that the team was going to go full rebuild or or the other way, that the team was still going to try to contend for the playoffs and put some pieces together, know that you're not going to be a contender in the Eastern Conference to get to the NBA Finals again like you were with LeBron, but at least be a contender. But then fire Ty Lue and hire John Beeline likely not the direction that Kevin Love was told that the team, the organization would be going in when he signed for the 120. But those are the breaks. That's the business. It happens. And you took that money. So when you take that money, you've now put a price on what your services are worth. And if you felt like I could be happier somewhere else, okay, well, then what was your price on happiness? Well, if your happiness is worth $120 million to you, then that's what he did. <laughs> it is to me. I can tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the other part of this, you talk about this idea that, uh, you know, Kevin Love's value potentially in the trade market could go down. The other thing in which, I, and not that I would ever expect any player to consider this when signing a deal, but of course, NBA deals are all contingent on making the, the salaries match up. So if you then sign for, you know, your 90 million over three, essentially what you're doing is you're basically putting yourself in a position where it's going to be really difficult to trade you also. And again, not right. that that shouldn't be taken into consideration. Get the most money you possibly can. We're, we're all in agreement with that. But I'm just saying... Right it is awfully difficult to unload a guy that's got three years, 90 million, because any team that could potentially use him to get, let's say, over the top and push them to another level, we're hearing teams like Denver and Portland right now that are really interested in Kevin Love, they have to move a lot in order to make that happen. And to make a guy that's your fourth best player, you know, to pay him $30 million a year is, is really difficult for any front office. The return that the Cavs will get would just be a ton of contracts and picks, and that's something that you'll likely have to live with. Absolutely. And and here's the other final thought for me on the Cavs. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA in terms of offense, which I think over time, Beeline is going to get right. I think he's got to be involved in who his players are. But you have such just a weird mix right now. 
defensively already, Kevin Love is not a good defensive player. And as I already said, that backcourt doesn't doesn't defend. You have an entire team right now that really has no identity. And the real question for me is going to be what Kobe Altman can can do. That's the other part, because a general manager who's experienced or someone that I would trust, and there's only a handful of them in the league. You know, we talked about David Griffin, but you know, guys like R.C. Buford and Danny Ainge and, you know, Sam Presti can, can get creative with what it is that they would do with some of these salaries and, and with this roster. And I think combining a coach that's going to have to take a little while to figure out his way with a GM that's going to have to get him the players that it's going to take for John Beeline to win, I, I think this mix is going to take a little while to figure out. And I understand why Kevin Love wouldn't want to be a part of that, but sorry, pal, uh, you, you got your happiness. And it's in the right and right and go about it the right way. And what he did the right. other night on the court, not the way to do it. Which by the way, who, he says, which by the way, he says that it was more about John Beeline's play calling and not matter. the fact that you know the matter. ball was being dribbled out, but it doesn't matter. You're absolutely it doesn't matter. It doesn't but, and, and here and here's the question Do guys would guys rather play for John Beeline or rather play with Colin Sexton? Coming up next. Open gym, let you know what we're pumped about, why I cannot wait for Thursday night. Plus, media critics analyzing play-by-play guys who never did the job. So as a play-by-play guy, should I treat them the same way that players treat writers and analysts who never played the game? At an open gym this week, it got me thinking about the media critics who are most prominent I guess most prominent on my timeline, Richard Deitch from The Athletic and Andrew Marchand from The New York Post. I don't really consider Jimmy Traina a media critic from Sports Illustrated. He's, to me, he's like a, a fan. What like about Marchand. What about Chad like, Oh, yeah, and Chad, right, sure. Friend Which of is the interesting because we, we just had him on. That's interesting. Should probably talk to Chad about this. We just had Chad on on Thursday. Go back and listen to that from the Boston Globe. But but Chad isn't very vocal about this stuff on on Twitter. Deitch is Andrew Marchand is, and 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 it really hit me over the weekend watching football and the criticism uh, and criticism and praise for mm-hmm. the TV broadcast crews. And yeah, Joe Tessitore, Booger McFarlane take a lot of heat and. You know, Booger, right, rightfully so. And just the, the consistent praise for Tony Romo is over the top. But, and then all the, you know, the praising, all oh, this camera angle, this, that, like, I don't know. Just sometimes it's just, it's just <laughs> like, I, I want everybody to be happy. But some of this stuff, it makes me sound like a curmudgeon. But anyway, so when, when they crush a play-by-play guy, mm-hmm. and, and I, and it, okay, and this is like the same thing with David Griffin. And I love David Griffin. And, and I like Richard. And I like Andrew. But neither one of those guys has been a play-by-play guy. So if I'm a play-by-play guy, what if I snap back at them for saying, well, you guys never did this? <laughs> it's true. Right? But, and that's the thing. But I can't do that because then it makes, you know, then that, could impact my future employment somewhere. I'll go, I'll go a step further. It's not even Noah about the idea that they haven't done even that before, but also 
they haven't been someone who's in charge of overseeing on-air talent. In other words, haven't been a producer on a production, haven't been an executive producer, haven't been someone in a talent department. And those positions also give you a unique perspective. And so it's the same thing. It's, it, you know, the writer's response when an athlete says, oh, well, you've never played before. It's, well, someone has to put into words what it is, you know, for the fans that that's taking place on the court. Maybe we don't have a firm understanding, but we're trying to get it a firm understanding. But also, you know, you don't hear that from a lot of players around the NBA, like, oh, this GM never played before. So he doesn't understand, you know, and some of the best GM, some have played, some haven't, you know, at high level, what have you. Um, but so it's funny. I think that should be the case. I, it just made me think of this idea that, you know, in that world, like just how beneficial it would be to have some people who actually, in a way, understand the nuance of the craft. There's a lot that goes in to not just the idea of calling a game. And I'm curious as to asking you questions all the time in terms of what you're thinking about, what you're seeing, what your preparation's like, but also, you know, things that I have experience with in terms of producing and trying to get the most and what I'm asking on air folks to do, how they segue into certain topics. A lot of what makes a broadcast awesome comes from stuff that I think the average fan or a lot of times the guys covering it even from a media critic perspective, just have no clue about, you know, the, it's, it's why I've always said that Ernie Johnson's so good, what he does for others. And now everybody knows they just, you know, inside the NBA can do no wrong. So that's sort of out there, but I'm just saying that that's the thing with Ernie. Like he gets the best out of others. The same thing, calling a game. A lot of times it's understanding, like you talk to analysts and they'll go, man, I can't stand working with that play by play guy. Like, you know, he's never given me a chance to talk or when he does, it's awkward or doesn't know when it's a blowout, when we should get off the game. And there are all those nuanced things that I just I honestly don't hear enough from these media critics that you refer to. Right. And I also think it's a lot because, you know, a play by play guy isn't doesn't want to you know, publicly crush anybody. Uh, an analyst isn't going to do that either. I mean, everyone's just, just so concerned with their with their jobs also. Right. Right. So, you know, it's 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 funny because I always get asked from, you know, family members and friends that aren't in the business of of producing sports, you know, television production and new media production and all that. They always ask, you know, about stuff or or they make these sweeping generalizations about organizations like, oh, this these broadcasts are terrible or I don't like ESPN or Fox or whatever it happens to be, you know, and and they criticize them. And what they don't realize a lot of times, the same critiques they have about certain analysts or play-by-play guys or studio guys, like, so do people within those organizations. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's the funniest part about That's it. Funny. There might be one bigwig that decided they like a certain play-by-play guy, so they're going to be in place, and you know they got their favorites, and other people scratch their heads. And the same thing runs true with the analysts. Sometimes they're like, is this play-by-play guy or the producers like i can't believe i gotta work with this guy you know it, not everybody is always aligned that that would be my big that's take for sure that's for sure it's a subjective business let's get into real quick what i'm pumped about i'm looking forward to wednesday night miami and indiana yes, the race the race in the eastern conference i'm already looking at who's going to have home court advantage and right now you know look you know I mean, you, the sixers and pacers could be sitting five and six miami might end up in that five spot maybe it's toronto who knows and 
first round could be a whole lot more difficult, and the second round certainly could be a whole lot more difficult for some of these teams who thought they'd get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And now on Thursday, there it is, Boston and Philly. And speaking of announcers, get Marv likely and and Kevin Harlan, and you'll see the you'll you'll see the criticism from some about Marv, and then Houston OKC Russ's first game back in OKC. They posted OKC. I don't think they do video tributes. They they posted a video when he was traded. And I know, I know that the conversation in OKC radio, I know they're not going to have the conversations. Should we boo Russ? Is Russ going to be? Boo- I mean, oh, no. Russ, Russ will have the standing ovation of all standing ovations. So that's what I'm pumped about. How about you on the yeah. college hoop side, NBA draft side? That's exciting. For for me, uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Daniel Oturo. He is a big man, 6'10 sophomore from, from Minnesota. And over his last three games, as we record this podcast Monday, 23 points, 18 boards a game, and he's coming off a 19-16 and 16 game with five blocks against Northwestern. Uh, showing tremendous potential, really shooting up draft boards. He plays at Michigan State on Thursday, Michigan um, on on uh, Sunday. So I'm excited to see Aturo on, against those front lines. Xavier Tillman, I'm, I'm sure, is going to get the assignment for Michigan State. So that should be a battle, and this kid's really showing potential. It's interesting. There's a bunch of really intriguing bigs in this year's draft, and I'm always curious how that'll translate because they'll get drafted high, but you know, what potential does a big have in, in today's NBA is always interesting because there aren't many on, on rosters anymore. Right, and I really hope people are listening to the end here because you've been on point with entertaining college games focused on NBA draft prospects. And just last week with that Colorado-Oregon game and Tyler yeah. Bay and Colorado beating Oregon, even though Oregon was the slight favorite, but you beat the number four team in the country you've been spot on. Make sure you go back and take a listen to all of our Thursday episodes. You can just find them on the rejecting the screen feed it's just going iso with so many who have touched the nba and continue to on all sorts of different levels from the media side to the player side to the coach side this thursday it's former nba all-star kevin willis you can follow adam on twitter at naismith lives i'm at noah koslov c-o-s-l-o-v adam thanks pal you are the best